Let's bow again. Lord, may we, may we truly look at the cross um, again afresh by the eyes of faith and be humbled before your love and before your sacrifice, before your pain and your sorrow and your suffering. And, and may we also, Lord, also triumph in it and boast in you and in you alone. And um, may the cross, O oh Father, be just a powerful reality to our consciousness every single day. Uh, forgive us when we forget the cross or don't live near it, but give us grace to live near it. And Lord, even tonight, um, help us to hear your word, to hear the words of our Savior who died on that cross. And we ask for your favor, your grace, and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and I'll start reading tonight in verse 35. And we're going to look tonight at uh, ready servants and faithful stewards. We'll see how far we get in it, um, but we'll start in verse 35 and look at really two parables, almost three, that are kind of bunched in here together that, um, that Jesus spoke. So may the Lord just give us grace through His Word tonight. May it be refreshing to us. May it convict us, strengthen us in all that we need. Um, where, God, where God's Word is honored, there God is. So may we honor His Word tonight. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say to you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said to him, Lord, speakest thou this parable to us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Of a truth I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. There is one of my favorite family stories from our Machiavelli side of the family. I may get some details wrong, but as I remember the story, uh, granddaddy and grandmama, the, the kids were all out of the house, and grandmama went back to Arkansas for a visit to her family, and she decided to, dis- to surprise granddaddy by coming back one day early. And uh, she was shocked, and he was shocked. He was shocked because he didn't know that she was coming back early, and she was shocked because the house was in an absolute mess. 
and they both wished that she had come back when she said she was going to come back. Because as uh, some men do when their wives are away, uh, he just let the house go and of course would have cleaned it up in time for her to return. But it was an unexpected return and an unexpected result. So that's a, a good story, a silly story, but it, it helps to even uh, highlight again what Jesus is saying here. Jesus uh, is in, was in a context in Luke 12 of really a, a life-focused section as well, I'll, I'll call it. A life-focused section, a perspective section. Earlier in Luke 12, Jesus had given another parable about a farmer who had a bumper crop and a man who already was, um, already was, was doing well, he was already rich, and then he had this bumper crop, and he said, you know what? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns and put all my new resources into my new barns. And this is what he said, and I'm going to say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, uh, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God in the parable said to him, you fool, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you, and who will those things be that you have obtained? So here, the rich farmer has a focus of life, a look at life that's all about right here and now, the things that I can see, I can taste, I can touch, and that is what consumed him, that's what governed him, that's what dictated the way that he thought and how that he lived. And, then G- and Jesus is giving that parable to say, don't live this way. Watch out for that way of living. And then Jesus went on to say, seek the kingdom of God. So all in this life-focused um, section, what I call it. So Jesus now looks at this and says, he gives these parables, a parable about a servant, a parable about a steward or a household manager. And so let's just look at this parable, several things that we'll try to uh, glean from it tonight, and may the Lord give his blessing. So in the first parable you have, the setting is, there is a lord of a house, the master of the house, and he has gone off to a wedding and so it's humorous that there's a night wedding, an evening wedding tonight over in Texas for Schaefer. And the Jews, as, and Jesus was a good teacher, he would give illustrations from that culture and that context of the people the audience could understand. They could easily identify and instantly identify what he was talking about. So the Jewish weddings, we have to do some research sometimes to figure out some of the setting. But the Jewish weddings were typically at night and the celebration could go on for hours and hours. The Fiddler on the Roof is what comes to my mind of this long, long, long evening wedding celebration. So in the parable, these uh, servants, the household servants, their job is to wait for the master to return. Who knows when he will return? Jesus said it could be in the second watch. It could be in the third watch. So the second watch was from nine to midnight. And the third watch was from noon to three o'clock in the morning. So it could be a long, long wedding party, a long celebration. So these servants are to be waiting. They're to be waiting until the master of the house returns from the wedding to do whatever that, they, whatever that he needs for them to do upon his return. So the first thing, let's note from, this, uh, from these parables, the first thing is this, is the master is returning. Okay, The master is returning. These parables fall apart <laughs> unless somebody's coming back. So in the one here where there's a wedding... And the servants are waiting for the master. He's going to the wedding, but it is implied, it is understood, he is coming back. And then you have the, um, the household managers, the stewards. The Lord of the house has gone away, take care of the house while he's away. But the implication is, but he's coming back. So our great hope, I mean, we sang about it tonight, the, the, the hymn, the title of the hymn, Saints Bound for Heaven. 
What does it tell us? There's something else to come. There's something else to come. So if we're to think about um, redemptive history, God's plan of redemptive history, there's some really big dates on the calendar, aren't there? Big events. So let's skip the whole Old Testament and let's go to incarnation. That's a big event, isn't it? God the Son comes down to earth. He takes on human flesh. That's a huge event. I mean, there's angels talking about it. There's all these incredible, unusual events that are going on for incarnation. And then you have his life. What's the next big event? It's his death, isn't it? He dies on the cross like we just sang about, that wondrous cross. He dies. He offers up his life as a sacrifice for sin. The earth is dark for three hours and it is finished, he says. Then what's the next big event? goes right with the cross. He rises again three days later, doesn't he? He dies. He rises again. What's the next big event? Forty days later, he's ascended back to heaven to the right hand of God. And there's other big events. There's Pentecost, the Spirit coming in a special way. And there's all these things we could mention. But what's the next really, really big event on the calendar? The Master's coming back. The Master's coming back. Isn't that exciting? You, you ever look at your calendar and you look for that big date? Maybe it's the vacation or the holiday. And how long is it left? And of course, we don't know. We don't know the date. That's part of the, of the point of the parable here. But the next big event is the Master is returning. So let's look at several passages that speak of that. Let's look first in Titus um, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 is going to tell us that grace is teaching us in part to be longing for, to be anticipating the Master's return. And in fact, one of the marks of God's people is this. I won't go there, but in 2 Timothy 4, Paul speaks of those, God's people, as those who love His appearing. That is the final appearing of Jesus. They love His appearing. So they're longing for that day. They're excited about that day. That day is prominent in their minds. In Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So God's grace is teaching us something. And praise God that His grace is at work to teach us. Amen? So His grace is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live in a sober and godly and righteous way, but that's not all. Looking for, it also teaches to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, notice that expression, the, the glorious appearing. When Christ came the first time, much of His glory was veiled, wasn't, wasn't it? He's, he's just um, he's, um, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. There's no special comeliness or form of beauty that we should desire Him. In other words, in many ways, He looked like just another ordinary human being who grew up in Nazareth. There's flashes of His glory, much of his glory is seen, but in many ways it's veiled. But here, Paul says, Titus, listen, grace is teaching us to look for that time when he will appear in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. So Revelation gives us images of something of, of, of him coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. Now that's not literal, okay, but it's teaching us he's coming back as an awesome conqueror champion who will strike terror into the hearts of his enemies and will, will be had in great, glorious admiration of his people. Now, who doesn't like a conquering hero? 
wow, he's going to come in all of his glory, his majesty, his splendor. So in that day when Christ comes in all of his glory, none of his enemies will be able to slough him off or ignore him or act as if he's not there. No, Christ will command attention, won't he? His glorious appearing. His glorious appearing. Colossians 3 Maybe Brother Nathan was there this morning. I don't know if he was there this morning in his preaching, but if he was, in, according to his references earlier, but in verse 4 of Colossians 3, um, that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, what does it say? Then shall we also appear with Him in glory. So the people of God are to long for, to anticipate. Grace is teaching us to look for that day. And in the parable that we have of Jesus, what's the implication? What's the key event? The key event is the Master is Returning. So, let me ask you that. This question, the obvious question, is is your thinking, is your thinking influenced by this aspect of grace that you your your um, desires, your comfort, your stability of mind, perhaps in crazy times, is affected in a positive way by recognizing that Christ is returning. That Christ is returning. I confess, my own self personally, it's easy to forget. Now, we don't forget, forget, do we? If it was a test question, we would say, yes, you know, A, he's coming back. If it's multiple choice. A, he's coming. B, not sure. We say, oh, A, I know A, he's coming, he's coming. So I don't mean forget, forget, but forget where it's prominent. Forget where it affects us like it should. Forget with joy and with, again, confidence and with encouragement, with strength and with a, a holy, sanctifying influence Upon our lives, but it's, 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 it's what we're supposed to think upon, or at least part of what we're supposed to be shaped by. So let's think about some of the one thing that might help us is to meditate on all the great things that will happen at his return. His kingdom that's been inaugurated, has been begun, will be consummated. Okay? So all of his enemies, part of what that means, that all of his enemies will be put under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15 says, That's exciting, isn't it? That Christ's glorious kingdom will appear in all of its majesty. And all of his enemies will be put down. All of the injustice and evil and darkness and deceptions. It will all be taken care of and made right when Jesus comes again. Salvation that has been begun will be completed. We call that, in our salvation doctrines, we call that glorification. That salvation that's been begun, it will be completed when body and soul are glorified and completely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, listen, sanctification will be all the way complete then. You and I will be all the way uh, conformed to the image of Jesus. What a thought that that is. Again, it says we'll appear with Him in glory. So we could go on and on, couldn't we? But our our lives, our, our hopes, our thoughts, everything is to be shaped by the reality that the Master is returning. Now... The rich fool, we mentioned earlier, he was shaped by something else, wasn't he? He was shaped by all the things that he could see, touch, taste, handle his wealth, his riches. And remember, he was living as if the master didn't matter. He was living as if the master's not coming back, or if he is, it's irrelevant. And what did God say to that man? You fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Now listen, we can't just slough that off, can we? We have to take this seriously. The Lord wants us to live as if He's coming back and that we're shaped by that. I remember I told 
the church at Carville this morning. Some of you young people may can identify with this. I remember when I was a teenager and I would hear uh, preachers preach about uh, Christ's return and say things like this with great passion, say, I wish it was today that he was coming back. And I always felt a little tinge of guilt because I was like, amen, I want Jesus to come back. But there's a lot of things I want to experience in life first. I'm not really sure if I, if I would really want him to come back. But what I say is this, that young folks, the longer you know Jesus and walk with Jesus, and the more you live in this messed up world, the more you'll long for his return. And let's just say he did come back today or tomorrow, and you didn't get to experience all the things on your bucket list. Well, guess what? All of the glory that his coming will bring for his people will make all of the things you didn't experience as if it didn't even matter at all because of all of the glory and the majesty and the riches of his grace that he, that he will bring in. So we're to be shaped. We're to be shaped by this reality that the, the, master, is, the master is returning. He's returning. Well, what's another thing that we learned from this parable? And it's this, number two. So one is the master's returning. Two is, is that the disciples must live on the master's agenda. Okay? So let's just think about this parable again. All right? Here's the setting again. The master of the house is gone to a wedding. He's, he's at the wedding. It's a long wedding party. It could last literally until 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning. The servants are supposed to be waiting there for the master to return. All right, so whose agenda matters here? Is it the servants or the masters? It's the masters, okay, if you didn't figure it out. It's the master's agenda. Well, here's the reality. Here's the reality. The Lord is the Lord, not you and not me. But a lot of times we, we want to live, and frankly, we're born to this world living as if we are Lord, and that our agenda and our desires and our plans and our dreams all carry the day because life is ultimately about me getting the things that I want. But here, guess what? Guess when the master is going to return? When the master wants to return. And he doesn't ask the servants for their preference. See, it's, it's good for us to kind of be put in our place, isn't it? You parents ever say that to your children? You need to be put in your place. Well, it's kind of good for us to be put in our place. But here's the deal. It's not like a... Slap, it's, it's a good place to be. It is an honor to be servants of the Lord. We sing the hymn, it has this line, My highest place is lying low at my Redeemer's feet. No real joy in life I know, but in His service sweet. But it's good for us to say, Lord, I'm going to be living on Your agenda. Your agenda is to set the tone. And my life is, is it's, and here's what we try to do sometimes, is we try to make tack the Lord onto the end of our agenda to help speed our agenda along. But it's supposed to be the reverse. Lord, I'm on your agenda and help me to do your will and to joyfully be your servant. So we see that here in this parable. Third, let's look at the faithful servant. So we have one, the master's returning to, the disciples must live on his agenda. And then third, look at, look at the, uh, the faithful servants. Jesus says in verse 35, he says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. So here again, that's something from that culture and time. They would know exactly what Jesus is talking about, but we have to explain it. So they wore long, flowing robes, including the men. And before they would engage in any kind of exertion or work or uh, activity, they would, they would tuck the robes, get the long, flow, long, flowing robes, and tuck them into their belt so they could be ready for action. And, of course, the lights burning of these servants at nighttime. It's dark. They're keeping the lamp burning Putting oil in the lamp, keeping it burning, ready for the master. So what is Jesus saying? What does that really mean for us? What he's saying is this. He's saying 
that we're to be living with a posture of readiness. A posture of readiness. The opposite is, is the expression we know, to be asleep on the job. That's the opposite, to be asleep on the job. Jesus is saying, don't be asleep on the job. You, you need to be ready for action. You, you need to be listening and waiting for your master. You, you need to be um, on task, on point, awake, alert, vigilant, spiritually speaking. To so be alert, be awake, spiritually speaking. Now, the best way we're going to do that is this. Who are they waiting for? Who are they thinking about? They were thinking about when the Lord is going to return. So here's the deal. Here's the best way that we can be ready. Here's the best way that we can have our loins girded about and our lights burning. The best way is that our hearts and our minds are centered on Jesus. Who's the one we're waiting for? It's Jesus. Brother Nathan's message this morning, set your affection on things above. Where? Where Christ is. Where Jesus is. So we're living like Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So my, light's being, my light being burning, my, my loins being girded about is that I'm thinking about Christ. Christ is the one that I'm trusting in. He's the one that I'm hoping in. I'm living on His agenda. I'm obtaining strength and grace from His resources. I'm seeking to be like Him and to do His will and to serve in His kingdom. So my heart and my mind is all engaged and centered on Jesus. Now Jesus is never small and Jesus is never insignificant. But sometimes he is small in our minds and our hearts. And sometimes, sadly, he is insignificant in our minds and our hearts. And the smaller that Jesus is in our minds and our hearts, and the more insignificant he is in those places, the farther away we are are from a position of readiness. Keep your eyes fixed upon Christ. Hebrews 12.1, lay aside the weight, the sin that does easily beset, And how do we run the race with endurance looking to where? To Jesus. So our eyes are fixed upon Him. I want to know this Savior. He died for me. He's coming back. I want to be engaged in serving Him. Okay? Here's the opposite. Here's the opposite. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Sometimes we have to see the the negative in in order to really be stirred up to the positive, which is kind of strange about us, but the Lord gives us many warnings in that way that stirs us up. To the right way. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 5, he speaks to the believers here. And Paul says, You all, you are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Don't be asleep, he's saying. He's not talking about physical sleep. We have to have that. He's talking about spiritually. There's, there's images. There's light and there's darkness. There's being awake and alert and with it. And then there's being lethargic and sleepy and groggy and not really all the way there. Which of those describes you spiritually? Awake, alert, ready, focused, had your spiritual coffee, right? Ready for the day? Focused, engaged? Or uh, not really all the way there? Not really engaged? Our flesh, our flesh is really, really good at leading us to spiritual sluggishness. And Satan loves to use that tool as well. 
to rock the baby to sleep, right? Rock them to sleep. Slowly, 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 slowly. To rock them to sleep. Jesus says, Paul says here, don't be asleep on the job. Okay? You've got to be awake. You've got to be spiritually engaged. Okay? So your mind can't be just um, filled with all kinds of vanities and emptiness. So much of our battle in the Christian life is a battle for the mind, right? Second Corinthians bring into, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Be transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind. So uh, much of this starts with, with what is my mind engaged in? What are my thoughts? What do my thoughts consist of? Consist of? Am I just letting my thoughts drift or am I fixing my mind on truth? Am I filling my mind with truth? Am I seeking to repulse and reject deceit and lies that inevitably come into my, minds in various, in my mind in various forms? So let us not sleep. Let us be sober, disciplined, alert, awake, aware. Remember King David, when he should have been out engaged in battle with his armies. Remember Samuel? When he should have been out engaged in the battle with his armies, decided to somewhat be asleep and stay at home, and he wasn't engaged. And that's when the temptation with Bathsheba came, and he was knocked down, you see. So, what is spiritual lethargy? What can it look like? Well, it can look like things like, I'm not greatly concerned for how I'm walking with Jesus. I'm so distracted with this thing and that thing, and I'm so excited about all this stuff over here that, oh yeah, there's Jesus over there. Or that I'm sins that used to bother me. I don't really, it doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me anymore that much. I used to really be excited about hearing the word and have my notebook and my Bible. I'm ready, I'm taking notes and I'm reviewing, and now I'm like, yeah, there's another sermon and. I probably heard all the verses they're going to say anyway, and you see, I don't, I don't pray much. I don't, when I do pray, it's just kind of the same old routine and stuff, and my, I'm cold, I'm distracted, I'm not focused. Listen, we need, we need to hear what Jesus says, don't we, in this passage. He says, listen, the Master's returning, okay? The Master's returning. Paul uses battle language, all right? So, Asleep, awake, put on the helmet, put on the armor, put on faith, love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So this, this applies to all of us, okay? This applies to all of us. No matter what stage of life, there's various ways that we can be um, lulled to sleep. It can be busyness and distraction. And so we're, we're engaged in lots of things that you have to do, but we're so, so, so engaged that Christ is small. He's small and insignificant in our hearts and our minds. It could be with just, again, filling our minds with endless vanities. God gives us the gift of relaxation. We praise Him for that. But probably most of our society is not under-relaxed as far as like under-vegged out. You know what I'm saying? So we can just begin fill our minds with endless nonsense and be dulled. Be dulled to the reality of the majesty of God. Isn't that something? Be dulled to the reality of how powerful His Word is. And we can, we can even read the Word, but our eyes be glazed over because we're not really there. Have I said that clear enough? <laughs> we need to be awake, don't we? We need to be awake. Awake. Now, honestly, honestly self-assess. This is one of the ways that we stay awake. Honestly self-assess. 
that can be hard and painful, but it's needful. Honestly, self-assess, what are, what are the areas, my greatest areas of weakness and vulnerability? Honestly, self-assess, what are the ways that I typically get struck down? And then I can know how to seek God's grace and His help and His strength. Assess ourselves, am I, am I filling my mind and my thoughts with God's Word so that my desires are shaped more by His Word and less by the flesh, by my flesh and by and by the world, okay? So, the master's returning. Disciples are to live on his agenda. The faithful servants have their loins girded about and their lights burning. They're awake. They're on the ready. They're on the job. Here's another one. The Christian life is hard. It's hard. I don't want to over... You can get too much out of parables easily. So I don't think I'm... I, don't, I want to be careful I'm not doing damage to the parable. I don't think that I am. But notice how Jesus wants us to see these servants, okay? They have a hard job. Again, he says, it might be the second or the third watch before the master gets home. So think about this. It's 11.15, and their eyes are already heavy, and they can still hear the music from three blocks away where the wedding is. They say, man, they ain't slowing down. And then it's 1.45, and they're having to elbow each other and stay awake. we got to be ready. we got to be ready. Don't untuck, your, don't untuck your robe and lay down and fall asleep. He'll, he know he'll come. And then it's 2.15. You see, the, and Jesus shows that. It might be the second watch. It might be the third watch. The Christian life is hard. It's not hard because it's bad. It's hard because our flesh. It's hard because of our flesh. And guess what? Guess what? You know this. Our sinful flesh will not give up without a fight, will it? Without, it won't give up easily. So it's hard to deny ourselves, isn't it? It's, it's hard to... Figuratively speaking, to be still engaged at two in the morning and be faithful and be focused and to, to continue to seek Christ. It's, it's hard to do that. I love Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which is just perfectly fitting for this truth and this point that, that the parable makes for us. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says in verse 1, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, it's, there's hardness, there's difficulty, there's toil, there's strain in the Christian life. But back to verse 1, Son, be strong, not in yourself, not in your past. Be strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. So we seek the grace of Christ for the hardness for the difficulty of the journey. And along with that, also note this, that a lot of life, this may be a newsflash to some, a lot of life is boring. A lot of the Christian life is routine and boring. When we're young, it's always the next big event. I remember before I was 16, it was 16, the driver's license. After that, it was graduation. After that, you know, there's always some, we, we, we tend to live for the next big exciting thing. And the reality is a lot of life is routine and boring. These servants are sitting there waiting at 2.15 and 2.30 and you know, you get the picture. It's a wonderful life. It's a joy-filled life, but it's not always an exciting life. There's mountaintops of Glorious moments, just red-letter days, as the old people say. And then there's valleys and difficulties. And then a lot of just strain and toil. The imagery of the pilgrim, just the journey, still going, still going. And God, and God gives us grace for even the routine, boring seasons. But here's the key. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. 
You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. That makes the boring and the routine joyful and worth it. What are they doing? They're waiting. Man, they're faithful servants. They're waiting because they're thinking about the Master. And they're doing it for the Master. And that's key for us as well. Well, here's here's really the most amazing part of this parable. Look at what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Now, let me just stop for a minute. Just stop for a minute. The Lord of the house has gone to the wedding. He's coming back really, really late. It's obligatory that the domestic servants will wait up for him. Their loins are girded. They're ready to serve him. As soon as he knocks, they're going to open the door. The lights are on. Whatever he needs, 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever he needs, they're going to give it to him. So he wants a midnight snack or a 2 o'clock snack. They give him a 2 o'clock snack. He wants a foot rub. They give him a foot rub. I don't know. Whatever those rich guys wanted. He lays out, hey, I want breakfast at 8 tomorrow, and here's what it's going to be. They're ready. They're ready. And that would be norm. But look at how this is not the norm in verse 37. Look at the parable. Look at the the verse. Blessed are those whom the Lord of the house, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he, the Lord, shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Now, when Jesus' audience heard him say this parable, I bet you their jaw dropped off and they did a double take. What did you you just say? What, Lord? The Lord of the house comes and he tells the servants to sit down and then he girds his garments and he serves them a meal at midnight? What? They would say, no, that's never happened. (laughs) I've been a domestic servant all my life. That's never one time happened. It never will happen. You don't know the the guy that I work for. But see, this this is not the normal realm. This is the realm of amazing grace. That's the realm. Is it our Lord? And here's the reality. Listen, there's another parable later, Luke, that says, where basically it said, even when the servants have done all that they should do, we're still just unprofitable servants. We've only done what we should have done. So none of us kind of get overtime pay with God, right? All of us, at the end of the day, no matter how diligent we've been in the service, will say, I should have done more. I should have done better. I should have been more faithful. And the Lord doesn't need us in His service. He does not need us in His service. He gives us the joy of being used in His service. But here we find Him coming with grace to servants who are flawed and, 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 again, unprofitable servants, as it says later. And He says, you guys sit down. And I'm going to gird up my garments And I'm going to sit you at the table and I'm going to give you a feast that you will enjoy. Who does that? Jesus does that. What does it speak of? The Revelation speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, it would just be a thrill just to be there. Just to be there. I remember old Sister Reeves from, some of you know from Grace Chapel, a, a name from the past. I remember one time I was going to visit her, and she said, I just want a little cottage in the corner of heaven somewhere. That's what she wanted, just a little cottage. Wait, listen, it would be an honor just to have a cottage in the suburbs, wouldn't it? But Christ says, oh, no, 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 that's not how it's going to be. I'm going to sit down and feast with you, and I'm going to share with you of my riches. What grace that that is. Now, that'll give you motivation, won't it? That'll motivate you, motivate you when it's boring and it's hard and it's difficult to war with the flesh. But as we can see, that's what I'm longing for. I'm longing to be with Christ and to feast, to feast with Him at His table. 
Well, praise the Lord for that. We'll, we won't see, have, we won't, I won't do much in the second parable, but it is connected, so we do need to look at it. Peter hears all of that and says, Lord, are you speaking this to us or to everybody? Which is kind of funny. It, it lets us know that we're not the only ones who are curious about some of the things that Jesus says and don't understand it all. Peter's like, I hear the parable, but is this just for us? Is it for everybody? Who's this for? And it's also humorous that Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. He just starts going into the next parable. In other words, I think part of what it is is, look, if you're listening, you need to take heed, no matter who that you are. So he says, who is that faithful and wise steward or household manager whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens to eat and drink and to be drunk, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So the first parable we have a, servant, a, a, a master of a house going to a wedding and servants waiting on him. Here we have a lord of a house and he's going away for a while and he's leaving some household managers, some stewards over his house. And their job is to be faithful, isn't it? Their job is to execute the task that he's given for them in that specific calling and situation. Now, talk about life focus. Every one of us here tonight in this room, no matter what age, no matter what station of life, we should think of ourselves as managers of what God has given us, as stewards of what God has given us. Not only our physical resources, but everything about us. You are a manager, and you're a steward of your body. Everybody is, whether believer or unbeliever. But for those in Christ, it's even a a double with redemption, 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit with your gods. Every one of us are managers, and we're stewards over the time that God gives us. Pastors and this does apply to us, we are stewards and managers over the household of God and we're to give the saints of God their portion of meat, give them spiritual food in due season. Parents, we're stewards, managers of our children. Our job is to set an example of of Christ to them and to point them to the Lord and to lead them in a right way. In our educational opportunities, in our work, Whatever opportunities that God gives us, we're managers of all that He's given to us. Listen, think about our minds. We talked about the minds earlier. God's given us our minds. He's given us our minds to to use to know Him and to live for His glory. He's, He's given us different seasons of life to steward them well, to manage them well. Now, look at the opposite. Look at the opposite. The opposite is, is the wicked servant... He says, well, the Lord's not, he's not coming for a while. So what does he, be, he begins to live for himself. So what does he do? He beats the other servants and begins to gorge himself 
with food and drink and be a glutton and be a drunk because he's just living for himself. And the Lord says, the Lord's going to come back and he's going to send that guy with unbelievers. He appeared to be a true servant, but he wasn't. It was shown by the way that he lived. He began to live for himself. Now that's a warning to us, isn't it? God has made us stewards of the church of all that we have. And our calling is to be faithful to Him for His glory. And it's exciting to think of it that way. Our life is not dull or meaningless. Even the boring seasons, we're supposed to steward those well. That God, who doesn't need us, has seen fit to use us and to give us an opportunity to serve in His kingdom and our calling, whether it be a big job, a prominent job, or a small task that may be unseen, is to be faithful to Him with the call that He's given us for His glory and for His honor. And it's an honor to be used in that way. An honor to be used in that way. Here's the sad opposite of that. Listen, think in this world of all the wasted minds... Think of all the wasted money resources. Think of all the wasted bodies that could have been used for God's glory. I mentioned this morning that I I haven't even read much of the book. It's a good book, but Piper's book, the title is all I need. Don't waste your life. That's all I need is that right there. Don't waste your life. And that's that's what Christ is saying. He goes on to say the... The servant that knew more and didn't do, he gets many stripes, many lashes. The servant that knew or did not know but still failed will get fewer lashes. What's the point? With more light becomes more responsibility. So some of us might say, you might say, well, I feel like I'm so much better off than that heathen unbeliever who never darkens the door of a church because I come to church like a hundred times a week, feels like. I've got to be better off than them. Well, maybe and maybe not. Maybe and maybe not. Because if you come to the house of God and you hear the Word of God preached again and again and again and again and again, and you're not changed by it, and your heart's not softened by it, and you're not drawn to the feet of Jesus in love and in faith to turn from your sins, it's not well with your soul. It's not well with your soul. Jesus said in verse 40, He said, You better be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think He'll come. So if you've not repented of your sin, I mean really turned your back on living for yourself and you've not come to Christ for mercy and for forgiveness and for grace, you're not ready for His return. You're not ready by a long shot. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. So I ask us this one too. What are you doing with what you have? We all, we all have heard, we all have had access to the blessed gospel of God's grace. We all have the word of God. We have godly, every one of us here have godly examples. We have people we can go to. We have the church of God and the fellowship of God's people. Abundant blessings. So may God help us to steward well what He's given to us for His glory. Now I'll close with this because if you feel a little bit um, beaten up and broken down, I understand, right? Here's Here's the wonderful truth of the gospel. 
is that there was one servant who was perfectly perfect. There was one servant who was perfectly perfect. These servants here, they represent imperfect servants like us. Hopefully faithful, but still imperfect. There was one servant who was perfectly perfect, and God gave him a job to do. And he did it perfectly. I mean, completely. You know what that job was? That job was to come and to die for people who had wasted stewardships. People who didn't steward their minds and their bodies well. And people who were very unfaithful in what God had given to them and began to live for themselves. And God sent him to die for people like that so that we would be forgiven of negligence and foolishness and wasted stewardship. So that we would be forgiven and so that we would be equipped and strengthened to begin to live like faithful stewards and like faithful servants. So if you see your... your Errors, right? If you see, you see you're lacking in these things, look at Christ, that perfectly faithful servant who's abundant in grace. Listen, the Gospel of Luke shows Jesus as a gracious Savior, as one who welcomes those who see their sins and come to Him. And He will forgive and He will give us strength and He'll renew us as we seek to be faithful to Him until that blessed day when He does return. Because the next big thing on the calendar is that the Master is returning. And may God help us to take heed to these things and to be ready by His grace. God bless you.